Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Conor O'Gara. A very special Saturday Down South podcast. Yes, it's special. We're, we're doing something a little different today. We are ranking the top 20 SEC players in 2018. If you saw the title, you probably know what you're getting into. That means no segments today. We're not talking any big breaking news. Thankfully, there wasn't anything too big in the college football world. Um, with the exception of, oh, this just came out. DJ Durkin is apparently going to be on, has apparently been working behind the scenes on Bama's staff for the past oh, couple months. Oh, God, really? Too soon, too soon. Why? Seriously? Yeah, no, that's a real story. Well, I need to lose some weight, so maybe I can hop on over to Tuscaloosa and he can just fat shame me into it for the holidays. Yeek. Good for you, DJ Dirk. Yeah. I don't mean that. Bouncing right back up. Oh, yeah, and intern Butch Jones is, is going to Maryland joining <laughs> Mike Loxley's staff. As a full-time staffer, an on-field staffer, allegedly. We don't. He's got a real job. Yeah, real job. Uh, so we went through and made our top 20 list of SEC players this year. And we're going to get through all, we're going to kind of break down, we're going to have some arguments that are more uh, contentious than others. And we have, you know, some guys that made honorable mention, we have best of the rest. Before we get to that, and I promise we're going to get to that, and this is, you you will enjoy this, I promise everyone that. Got to talk to you real quick about our friends over at Ticket City. It is bowl season. Bowl season starting this Saturday. Maybe you want to get out to yeah. Shreveport. Do what? Uh, who's that? Who's that Temple coach? Um, Ed Foley. Yeah, he was fired up. That dude was. I swear to God, we're gonna come out here right now. It's gonna be the best young <laughs> man you've ever met in this town. Good lord. <laughs> yeah, like these guys are gonna be there for like three days. I don't know why he was like, "You're gonna love them. These people are gonna." Yeah, it's because they put meth in the in the water in Shreveport. Duh. That's that's not true. I loved right when I saw that. I immediately thought of you get, getting that excited about Shreveport, and oh god, yeah, not possible. But maybe you're going to Shreveport. Maybe you're going to the Sugar Bowl. Maybe you're going to the Citrus Bowl. Sick brag. That's what I'm doing. Wherever you're going this bowl season, yeah, I'm gonna be there. Gonna be at uh, Kentucky and Penn State. Should be a good one. I'll be at the Orange Bowl. Nice. Ooh, are you? Yeah. Oh, very nice. Sick brag for you. Uh, if you're good, no matter where you're going to be this college football season, make sure that you are using Ticket City. As you know, our relationship with them goes back several years. They continue to be a leader in the ticket space. They are your one-stop shop for all things tickets. Uh, you're going to use that promo code CMBF10. That's CMBF10. Get 10% off of your tickets right now get go go to a few bowl games if you're if you're in the southeast take advantage of the fact that you have the ability to travel and just drive to wherever you want to go growing up in the midwest yeah. going to a bowl game was this big ordeal where you have to fly you have to make this you have to kind of save throughout the year if you want to do it and if you're in the southeast man like there are, there are some good tickets available so definitely take advantage of that all right top 20 rankings this might be the <laughs> We, we had maybe our, our biggest fight that we've ever had over this. Yeah. Yeah, we just got over that. We, we just got over it like 10 minutes ago. A little peel behind the onion here. When we were trying to come up with this, we were in disagreement over the process in which that we were going to value a player. And I wanted to look strictly at 2018 you wanted to take in, and, and I wanted to take in, you know, everything. How, yeah, pretty much everything. Too much. Yeah. Go, so explain your rationale and kind of what we settled on. Let's just so now that we're we're fine again. Um, we're on speaking terms. Yeah. Sorry, mom and dad were fighting, guys. Um, 
So I didn't. I guess Uncle Chris just didn't understand the homework assignment. I just so when he said we we're gonna do a top twenty list of the best players, this was like a week ago. So I had like a running list of like where I was gonna whittle it down. But I just doing what I always do, put just overanalyzed every part of it, and was taking into account like stats from this year, where like their value to their team, their NFL draft uh, or yeah draft prospects, like all those things. And the list got longer and longer, and it was it was bad. It was like Charlie from, uh, what do you call it, Always Sunny? Yep, yep. When he's like got all the yarn and stuff like that and, and going crazy. That's exactly what my, my living room looked like yesterday, just with SEC football players. This is so really I difficult. I think we're on the same page now. I think, I think we are. And the, we, so what we did was we basically averaged out our rankings to come up with this top 20. There are, I think, there are six guys, or no, five guys that made our top 20 that only one of us had in the top 20 and not the other. So right. we'll kind of lead and the person who had him in the top 20 will explain that. Um, we have a best of the rest category here that we'll get to. Um, well, real quick, before we before we jump into it, because we, I mean, you guys aren't going to agree with everything we said. This is going to be probably one of those episodes where you're yelling a lot yep. at the, you know, at your phone, at the steering wheel, at us, just not in person, hopefully. Um, before we get into that, if we disappoint you, just remember... You can be an expert and beat us and show us up Ooh, good point. in the Capital One Bowl Mania Challenge we're doing with the SDS Pod uh, on ESPN. So if you guys want to go check it out, we I think we shared it on Twitter the other day. We did, the yeah. Pod account. So we're doing a Bowl Mania Pick'em Challenge. Um, I think I whittled that down to, to four words this time instead of five. It's good. Mm-hmm. So it's on ESPN. It's under the SDS Pod. It's free to join. We'll have a lot of prizes. It'll be some good stuff. Still coming up with some uh, some of the prizes, but I think the grand prize winner will be on the ep- like on one of the episodes. Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Yeah, Full interview, so, along with some other stuff. But yeah, um, so make sure you go join that. It is on ESPN, the Capital One Bowl Mania, just group name, the SDS Pod. There you go. Last time I checked, we had sixty nine people signed up for that. Very nice of you guys to do. Sadly, that. we went way over that. Oh, which sucks. Well, that brief moment in time when I checked that and saw sixty nine, put a smile on my face. So. All right, let's get started. Let's take a smile off other people's faces and get into this. (laughs) Like I said, we have All-Americans who didn't make our top 20. We have first-team All-SEC guys who didn't make our top 20. This this list is interesting, and we're going to explain some of our our rationale. I promise you that. But just know that this list was really, really difficult to come up with. Our best of the rest, I would probably be like first-team All-Pac-12. Fair. Best of the rest, Greg Little, Ole Miss offensive tackle. Jonathan Abram. Lamont Galliard, Gilliard, why am I saying that wrong? Andrew Thomas, Georgia offensive lineman. This one, this one's going to be interesting. Greedy Williams, neither of us had him in our top 20. That, that will explain that after this. Kalijah Lipscomb, Vanderbilt receiver. Jalen Waddell, your boy, Jalen Waddle yeah. Didn't make either of our top 20, surprisingly. I think he made pro football folks his first team All-American, which was like, yeah, whoa. Yeah, had a Jerry Judy. Yeah, interesting. Uh, your other guy, Dijon Harris, leading tackler in the SEC, did not make this list. Isaiah Bugs, Alabama defensive lineman, double-digit sacks this year, didn't make either of our top 20s. The best of the rest was all the guys who didn't make our top 20s. And I know what you're thinking. Greedy Williams is going to be a top five pick in the draft. He was, you know, guys getting All-America honors. Why is he not in either of our top 20s? And I'll say this. My reasoning for not putting him in the top 20 was because of the usage. Because teams yeah. just don't throw at him very much. He is so rarely targeted. 
And we don't worry, LSU fans, we gave your secondary some love. Despite the fact that I was surprised, I, I had been saying kind of during the year that I thought LSU were the best secondary in college football. You realize LSU secondary was only like number 44 against the pass? That's yeah. interesting. <laughs> That's interesting. So don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Greedy Williams, tremendous player. I love his upside at the next level. I think he's going to be one of those guys who's going to shine more in the NFL even than he did in college. But just he was rarely targeted. Teams picked on there's, Christian I mean, Fulton more than there's they just did. no numbers. Right, and it's really nine hard. pass breakups is, is good. Yeah, um, but thirty three tackles, which is you know, not a lot of corners have like a bunch of tackles or anything like that. Um, and he's you know pretty much on an island out there. Two interceptions. I, it wasn't a slight to say he's not a good football player. I, I there's other there's one other defensive back in this like cornerback that I would take over him. He made the list. But yeah, just, there weren't there weren't enough numbers. Yeah, so that's why Greedy Williams did not make the list. Um, and I think that you know a lot of like Jonathan Abrams, a guy that has been maybe overlooked in that Mississippi State secondary, a, a defense that's oh. been really really good that we you know we didn't really talk about a lot during the year, but has been such a good playmaker on the back end of that unit, doing a lot of good things for Bob Shoup. Um, Do you know where Greedy Williams is from? I just looked is he this. from Shreveport? Yep. <laughs> That's why he didn't make the top 20. No. That's called a subconscious, y'all. How about this? Anyway. We got our honorable mention. Five guys made the cut for this. That means one of us had him in the top 20. The other did not. One of. This is mainly me. Yeah, this is this is mainly you, I realized. Nicole Hardman. A guy that you had at number 20. I did not have him in my top 20. I wrote, I wrote, I just want you to know that the, I wrote this list with such angst towards you. I know. Once you, once we had our argument, and then because it was like ten o'clock last night, I had sat down to write some comedy, and take a long winter's nap, and uh, I, so I was trying to include people in here, but I was like furiously writing down the stats, like Nico Harbin. Is, this is exactly why he needs to be in here. <laughs> Nico Harbin is really good. It's really I had good. A hard time not keeping me or not uh not putting him on the list because he led the conference. He led the I think the country in punt return yards per average. Like it was like twenty one point nine. Yards per punt return. Um, 18.1 yards per play. So here's a, Michael Hardman, it would not surprise me if he made the most Pro Bowls out of anybody on that Georgia team this year. He's so valuable. He, I mean, he's, he's, so, he's so electric. Yeah, he looks like a, a video game character. Another guy who I'm surprised did not make our list. Um, Deontay Thompson. Yeah, I mean, beginning of the season, I know, like, especially pro football focus is really high on him. Mm-hmm. And he's, I mean, he's had a really good season. He's been a, a pretty big force in the back. Top graded safety for pro football focus, yeah. Yeah, I just, towards the, the later half of the season, I, th- I felt like he was kind of, like, having to carry that secondary early on. You know, when, like, Savion Smith was, like, still kind of going through some, like, rough patches and stuff like that. And then Xavier McKinney was still new to the role as a starter. I, I, I think he's a great player. I just don't think he had, in 2018, one of the best top 20, I guess, seasons. Got off to that incredible start, but just yeah, just not quite, in my opinion, just not quite that guy that was, you know, a game changer week in, week out. We have other, we have a lot of secondary members uh, in this list, but uh, another guy who made our honorable mention, Red Mamba, Keyshawn Vaughn. I was so pissed about this one. So you had him in your top 20, you had him at number 19. I did not have him in my, my top, in my top 20. Could definitely make a case for him. Um, 
he he dealt with some injury issues this year, which kind of hurt some of his usage. But he only had eleven games. He did he did play in eleven games, but I think you know because he was he left a couple games early too, so his numbers are kind of tough to tell. But he had class, so that's what I mean, that's probably why. Yeah, it's true. Um, no, I mean he had over a thousand yards rushing. This, we're talking about Vanderbilt here. He had over a thousand yards rushing. He, I'm sorry, I think he had only 141 carries. He led the SEC in conference games in yards per carry with like 6.92. Overall, he and, led the conference with, with seven, yeah. Yeah. So it was, I thought he had a really impressive season. I, I don't think he got near enough love. I mean, he was averaging like, what, 13 attempts a game? Like, he, that's, to have 1,000 yards on only 140 carries is really, really impressive. Yeah. A lot of love so, for, for the Red Mamba. I'll be interested to see uh, yeah, what he does. touchdowns. Yeah, what he does at the if if he ends up coming back or, or how that's gonna work. Um, but oh, he also led the conference in plays over 40, 50, and sixty yards. Oh, yeah, he was that stat earlier that, about how he was the first SEC running back since Herschel Walker to have like two. Was was that about? Yeah, that was, that about, was Swift. That oh, was that was Swift. Swift. Oh my bad. But no, he. I mean, he led the SEC in, in explosive plays over 40, 50, and sixty yards, and then also averaged nine point one yards per carry against ranked teams. Gotcha. Oh, I think what the, the stat was, it was like the first, uh, he was the only SEC back to have like two runs over 80 yards or something like that this year. Yeah. Two touchdown runs over 80 yards, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah, you're right. Um, another guy who made our honorable mention, Christian Fulton, the guy who I was just talking about, opposite of Greedy Williams. He was the guy that teams kind of picked on, but he was really, really, really good. good. Actually put up just as good, if not better numbers than, than Greedy Williams this year. Um, and did so with with more usage, and I think that that yep. that's kind of what I what I took into account. We don't know what his future is going to be because he's not playing in the bowl game because he's he just had ankle surgery. We know that he's uh, one of those guys who could decide, you know, because of that maybe that he does come back next year. And if he does, look out because that's that'd be How big time. He? Uh, he's I think. This is his third season. He was suspended. You know, he had the suspension years, last right? year, and it was supposed to be a two-year suspension. But he ends up getting cleared to play this year. Good on you, Christian Fulton. Good for you, Christian Fulton. Spend six years in college, man. Yeah. Happens to the best of us. Uh, but I, I thought he had he had a tremendous year. He made my top twenty. I had him at number yep. seventeen. Um, a guy that you know didn't necessarily get all the love, just considering all the the names in that secondary. But somebody who just yeah. had a really good year in coverage. Okay. Last one on our honorable mention, and I'm I'm surprised that this guy didn't make our top 20 because I think if you had asked me, I probably would have predicted that he would have been in the top 10 in the preseason. And that's, I'm so mad about this one. And that's Debo Samuel. You left him off completely. I left him off completely. Which I was really surprised by because, you, I mean, like <clears throat> that seems like right up your alley to put Debo. Like, I, I didn't, coming into the season, I didn't think he was, I thought he was a little bit overrated because, you know, in that very short Sample size of like the two or three games he played last year, and he has two uh, kickoff returns for touchdowns. Everyone assumes like, you know, the whole season would have been different if we would have had Debo the whole year. Like he's not going to do that every game. And you know, South Carolina wasn't like fantastic on offense. He was great the whole season. Here's here's why I didn't have him in there. Brian Edwards led that team in receiving. Probably a guy we should have put in our best of the rest. So Brian yeah. Edwards leads. He had like the most drops. Yeah, he did have a lot of drops. He did have a lot of drops. Um, but Brian Edwards leads the team in receiving. And Debo Samuel, we talk about how big of a weapon he is in special teams. He only had one kickoff return for a touchdown this year. Yeah, but he had 13 total and also threw a touchdown. 
I'm 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 aware of that, but I'm just saying in terms of in terms of the game changing ability that we're used to seeing, I, I I think that maybe what he did in the beginning of last year kind of set too high of a bar. Maybe my That's expect my expectations were probably a little bit too high for him. But he just wasn't quite the game changer that we thought he was going to be, and the fact that he yeah. kind of disappeared against Georgia didn't help. And I, I don't know. I just think so he had more tough. yards than than Brian Edwards. Did he? Yeah, he had um, eight eighty two to eight oh nine. He also had eleven touchdowns receiving. And that's what kind of did it for me. Double-digit touchdowns. Really good. I felt like that kind of went unnoticed. I know Judy had 12 and won the Bolitnikov. You know, you got a guy in the same conference. Now, he also, again, I've been big on this. Like, when it matters, <clears throat> when it matters, against ranked teams, he led the SEC in receiving yards per game, total receiving yards, and touchdowns. He had six touchdowns against ranked teams and had uh, 100 yards per game against six ranked teams. But the problem being that the only time that he really called out somebody else before a game, DeAndre yeah, Baker, he got game. shut down in that one, and that was kind of South Carolina's that. biggest game of the year. Yeah. Okay, that's our honorable mention, best of the rest. Now we are into our, our top 20, and we're going to start with another receiver. And this was a very, very contentious uh, topic of debate between us. Here's, here's where I'm going to get to the point, too, like where – we we're like kind of walking on eggshells and tiptoeing around those, like kind of easing into it. I'm not going to apologize for any of my picks here. That's fine. That's fine. So let's kick this let's, thing let's, off. Let's kick this off. At number, tied for number 19, because it's, a, it's, you know, when you have a tie, that's the way that works. Emmanuel Hall, a Mizzou receiver that missed four games and really kind of five because that Georgia game, he kind of just throw away. He wasn't, his, he wasn't himself. He was out yeah, there, but just as a decoy. Zero stats. And you had him in your top 25. At number 16, I, I did not have him in there in large part because of the fact that he missed uh, a third to a half of the season. And I slighted him because of that. But you make you make a good point about his usage and the stat that you brought up when we were arguing. So he, like, Connor sends me this message. And he's like, you have Emmanuel Hall in here but not Jerry Judy? Again, I thought this was, like, most valuable. I misunderstood the assignment. Like, I... I'm, I think Jerry Judy's fantastic. He had an incredible season, and he's in the list, so we'll get to that later. But Emmanuel Hall, you could argue there's no player in the conference that meant more to their team than Emmanuel Hall. He averaged 21.6 yards per catch, which is ridiculous. Yep. He, only, he only played in seven games, and he had 756 yards receiving. So we talk about Debo, who had 12 games and had 882 yards. I mean, he was really, really good. He led the conference in... Um, Efficiency in passes 20 yards or more. He had 11 catches for 448 yards. That was one of the tops in the country. And 53%, over 53% of his catches went for first downs or touchdowns. And the fact, too, that the way that their season went where when he was healthy, they couldn't win, win an SEC game. And then right. he comes back, and they go on that four-game winning streak to end the season. So when he, yeah, when he was out. And so, right, right, right. So you brought up the point. You're like, I think Mizzou is 10-2 and two if he's healthy all year. Well, the games he missed are Kentucky and South Carolina, South Carolina yep. Bama, and Georgia. Now, I don't think they beat Bama. that Georgia game was closer than people really give him credit for. Like they covered the spread um, by a half point, but like I, th- yeah, I think they beat Kentucky. Lose that game by yeah by by a point, point. and and couldn't yeah. do anything the entire second half. Obviously, right. they couldn't stretch the field. I- and I like to think they win that game against South Carolina when they had all of those drop passes in the end zone uh, in that rainstorm. It's amazing that at one point of the year, in the mid midpoint of the season, it was a legit week to week conversation about whether or not he was going to redshirt this year and whether or not they're going to yep. utilize the new the new rule to try and save his eligibility because he got to the point where you get off to that bad start in SEC play and it's like, well, what are, what are we doing here? 
But Emmanuel Hall was an impact player, and the way that he responded down the stretch, I, I have, I don't have a problem with him showing up in the top twenty. And looking more at yep. close, looking a little bit closer at his numbers, I, I understand now more, more of what you were trying to say. So let's go into. Should done first. Whatever. <laughs> Piggybacking off of that, the guy that we have tied at number nineteen with him, somebody I had in my top twenty, somebody that you did not, none other than the guy who was throwing him those passes, Drew Locke. Drew Locke. I think coming into this year, I had thrown away his record-setting season. I did not want to evaluate him based on that production because new offensive coordinator and just some of the numbers that he racked up against crappy competition, you can kind of go back and look and see, well, you know, really, you shouldn't be trying to judge a guy based off trying to throw 44 touchdown passes in a season. So if, if you look at that standpoint, you'd say, well, yeah, his numbers were down. And we talked all year about that stretch that he went, it was like two and a half or three games, whatever it was, without a touchdown pass in SEC play, without Emmanuel Hall. But Drew Locke improved in a lot of ways. In a lot yeah. of ways. And he, he played in a system that is going to help him, I think, at the next level. They were more balanced offensively. He went up in yards per attempt up to 9.46. He was at, or he went down in, in yards per attempt, but he went up in his accuracy. He was better That's overall great. in SEC play. If you look at the, that four-game stretch that he finished the season on, which included that convincing win at Florida, guy had nine touchdown passes, two interceptions, threw for at least 64% accuracy in every single game, and had at least 220 passing yards. To me, Drew yeah. Locke and what he did down the stretch when he got Emmanuel Hall back, he, he was worthy of a top-20 spot. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. I, I, I think... Especially what you said late in the season. And that's what factored into a lot of mine was how they played against ranked teams, yep. how they played against SEC teams, and how they looked like going later into the season when it mattered most. And yeah, he, he, we all have talked about his struggles and, you know, the stereotypes and all that kind of the stigma around him. He went through like that October lull, which was different than last year, but it was good to see him bounce back. I mean, he's a, he's a good quarterback, so I wouldn't argue that one. Let's stick with the quarterback theme. Number 18. A guy that I, I'm surprised you didn't have on your list. I had him listed. Well, Connor, I had him at number eight in my first. In, in my your very first, first uh, your rough draft. My very first, what do you call it, um, mock list, I guess. It's, I was a mess making this whole thing. It's, it was difficult. I, I think I got caught up way too much in the SEC Championship game. Yep. I mean, he had a really good year. Which is, like, I think he's one of, which is why you didn't have Jerry Judy uh, in there. But, okay, so number, number 18 is Jake Fromm. And... I had Jake Fromm in my top 20, and I, I, I basically had him at number two in my SEC quarterback rankings for the vast majority of the year, With and then Drew Locke eventually got his way up to number three. But I think you know they're very close, and I would just argue the efficiency with Jake Fromm was what kind of separated him. I don't know if a lot of people realize that Tua and Kyler Murray were the only two quarterbacks in the country with better quarterback rankings than Jake Fromm this year. I mean, yeah. the efficiency, 9.3 yards per attempt. He only had an interception on every 54.4 throws. And after, just after the LSU game alone, where we, we kept bringing up that quarterback rating stat with him, he had a 14-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. He was improved, vastly yeah, improved. Yeah, that was ridiculous. And I think if, if he wins that SEC championship, we're having a little bit of a different conversation he's with him. He's number one on my list. He's, he's, I, think, I think you could make an argument he's top 10 on this list if he wins that SEC championship and comes up with a big drive late. Here's something that I didn't realize until I looked at this. Are you chugging a gallon of milk right now, or is that water? A gallon of water, right, creep. Sure. It looks a little, like, from the lighting, it looked a little bit white. All right, never mind. Um, like some whole milk. So get this. I didn't realize this until until I looked and compared. 
everybody talks about Deshaun Watson and how he sort of solidified himself as this premier player with based on what he did against Bama, right? Yeah. In that 2016 championship game, Deshaun Watson has 7.5 yards per attempt, throws for three touchdown passes, no interceptions, 64% accuracy. Jake Fromm in the SEC championship, 7.7 yards per attempt, three touchdown passes, no interceptions, 64% accuracy. Pretty similar numbers to what Deshaun did in that 2016 championship game. I understand it's a different Bama defense. Yeah, I would say it's one game. It's it's one game, but just yeah. in terms of you, these guys who are really good quarterbacks and you try and evaluate what they do based on really good competition, and I think Jake yeah. Fromm sort of solidified that based on what he did a couple weeks ago. Yeah, I think it's fair. And like Again, how he closed out the year was, was good. For me... He, like, I should have done a better job of picking. He probably should have been in my rankings, to be honest. <laughs> Just to be, I mean, he probably should have been. He had 27 touchdowns and only five picks. You know, and, like, to put up, like, the kind of efficiency numbers he was putting up, like, he only threw for less than 200 yards a game, which I got, I got kind of hung up on. It was, like, ninth best in the conference. But he's only attempting, like, 20 to 21 passes a game. And Justin Fields was brought into a lot of those games, especially early on when he could have been padding stats, and they bring in Fields for, you know, we talk about Tua yeah. and how he didn't play and, you know, didn't have an incompletion in the fourth quarter. Fromm really didn't play a whole lot or really have a whole lot to do, especially in a lot of those blowout games. No, like one of one of every 10 of your throws is a touchdown. It's impressive. It's pretty good. So, yeah, probably should have been in my rankings. Yeah. Uh, we only have one other quarterback um, on this list. You could probably take a guess uh, who that guy is. We'll get to him eventually. But our only tight end on this list, the man, the myth, the, le- the legend, the Kansas transfer, Jay Sternberger, coming in at number I 17. You didn't have him on there. I had him on here initially, and I took him off. And I probably shouldn't have, and I, I probably should have left him on. This was a really tough list. You, you, I mean, he wasn't on mine until the way you so passionately described how we were doing the <laughs> rankings that I threw him in there because it was based off of like last year or this past season. Um, you had him at 14. Yeah, well, because if it's based off of what he did this season, this is the same reason I had, we'll get to it later, Trevion Williams so high. Mm-hmm. Because if we're talking about the best players, like who I would take top, you know, most talented, he, this guy's not making the list. Trevion Williams is probably going to be further down the list. But if we're talking about how big of a season, how, how the best players from 2018 – Hard not to go with him. I mean, over 800 yards receiving. He led the SEC in receiving yards, receiving touchdowns, or for tight ends. Um, he led the FBS in, in tight ends. Um, for, for uh, He led the FBS in touchdowns by a tight end. Right. Not for total yards, but yeah. For the Second in touchdowns. total yards, yeah. But he had 10 touchdowns. I mean, that's, you know, I knew, I know they threw the ball a decent amount with Kellen Mond, but, like, he was a target and very steady the entire yep. year. It was not one of those guys where he had, like, you know, blew up early on the season, had a couple fluke games, anything like that. He was steady the entire season. Sternberger earned All-America honors, but was oddly left off the f- the final vote for the for the Mackey Award, which I thought was weird. That makes no sense. Um, I was really looking forward to seeing that all over Tim Brewster's Twitter account. Um, really upset. <laughs> well, I mean, like that Tim he put Brewster. up numbers that were close to some of the bigger um, receiving receivers in the in the conference. Yeah. Oh, he was treated like a receiver, and I think you know Jimbo had some great comments about. What what Sternberger did not only as a receiver, but how valuable he was in blocking, just in in, in yeah. terms of what he meant to that offense and the presence that he brought. I mean, this is a guy who was you know lightly recruited and you know sits out last year. And now we're waiting to see you know is he going to go to the NFL or is he going to come back this year? Which is kind of a crazy thing for a guy who yeah. you know was was no was a no name. A and M is so unused to utilizing the tight end that his emergence, I think, for A and M fans was. Really one of the bright spots uh, of the season. We'll get to Travion Williams later, but uh, you can't really talk about this a and 
an offense under Jimbo Fisher and not mention Jay Sternberger. Right. Number 16. This was a big, big topic of, of contention with us. <laughs> big time. You are not a fan of this guy. I am more of a fan. I was, I was, I'm not not a fan. I just, I just think his numbers are kind of skewed, but I was also pissed at you. So Yeah. <laughs> and you, did, you ghosted me after this, too. Uh, I did. <laughs> Deshaun Davis, the Auburn linebacker. Um, a guy who came into this season very highly touted. We knew that he was one of the one of the household names in the SEC. I feel like that's that's pretty safe to say. Led this defense was you know was all over the place. 103 tackles, 14 tackles for loss. He he got first team All SEC honors alongside a couple guys that we're going to get coaches. to later. Uh, it, yeah, it, from the coaches uh, alongside Devin White and Josh Allen, who are like I said later in this list. Did you realize he was Auburn's first? He was first Auburn's first first team All SEC linebacker since Travis Williams in two thousand four. That can't be right. That can, I, I read that and I'm like, wait, 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 really? I don't know. I, I find that hard to believe, but that was that was what uh, I think it was an AL.com story that had that. Yeah. So you brought the point. He had one hundred and thirteen tackles. One hundred three. All that good stuff. Auburn's strength on defense. You said that he was the. What do you call it? Of their defense? He's the leader of their, de- of their defense. I think that's fair sure. to say. The three defensive linemen they have. Because I, I wanted to throw in an Auburn player here just because I didn't want to be called a homer. And at first I want to have it be Derek Brown because of his, you know, um, where he's projected to go in the NFL draft. Oh, he should have been Marlon best da- of the Marlon rest. Marlon Davidson blocked three three kicks this year. True, true. That's I mean, that's a ridiculous stat. Um, the defensive line for Auburn is, like, he should, well, this isn't an award, but if this was an award, he should hand it right over to them because those guys, I think, opened up a lot of opportunity for Deshaun Davis this season. And he capitalized on it. You can't really scoff at, you know, triple-digit tackles, but I didn't think it was worth worthy of top 20. Still a top 30 defense. You could prob- Maybe you could make that argument. Weird to see that he didn't get a senior bowl invite. Very yeah, surprised. that's really weird. I just, I, he didn't really do anything throughout the year. He was steady. Um, but, you know, like we talked about the Dejon Harris thing. I had him in there because he led the conference in tackles. Right. Uh, and was second last year by, like, one, like a couple to Devin White. Um, he just didn't do anything really that really stood out. And I don't know if that's because Auburn kind of was not as good this year or what. But he just – there was nothing he did. Like, it was like, oh, well, you know what? That's That guy's the strength of that team. Like, that's like a, like a one bright spot for that team. Uh, he's a little bit of a throwback guy, too. I mean, kind of undersized. Only 5'11". I, yeah. I don't know what, what the, the NFL prospects are going to, you know, how, how he's going to stack up against them. But a guy who can just tackle all over the place, and you still need guys like that. So, yeah, he's still, in, in my opinion, worthy of a spot on this list. Uh, a guy that maybe we thought was going to be a lot higher uh, did not quite reach the level that we thought he was going to. We both had him as our preseason SEC Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, finished the season incredibly well, but number 15 is DeAndre Swift. And I think we're both kind of in agreement. We both had him pretty close together, if I'm not mistaken. Um, my question about Swift is, you know, we know about the struggles that he got off to first half of the season, didn't have a rush longer than 24 yards, and then really picked it up down the stretch. He averaged 113 rushing yards per game after the LSU loss, and then, you know, 135 yards from scrimmage. In the second half of the season, when he really weren't questioning his health, if he was right, when he was making, you know, those cuts that are just ridiculous, is there a more dangerous SEC player than DeAndre Swift? Uh, maybe Josh Jacobs. Maybe Josh Jacobs. Well, no, because he he impa- I think he impacts the game more in terms of like he can do more things in terms 
you know, kick returns and, and blocking and running and all that kind of stuff and catching on the backfield? Maybe not. DeAndre Swift is he's as much of a home run threat in this conference, maybe the country, as anybody. And when you talk about the second half of the season, and I put a lot of stock into that, and it just so happened like with him that he was finally healthy. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when you have on the season 1,037 yards rushing and just, you know, kind of a lot like Keyshawn Vaughn, he only had 155 carries, right? So average number six yards a carry, almost like over six and a half is really impressive. But the fact that he had 675 yards, he had 65% of his yards from November on. That was ridiculously impressive to me. He finished the season basically like Benny Snell did last year. And I thought that the, yeah. it was still going to be on the table for him to make first-team All-SEC honors. He ends up only getting second-team All-SEC honors. But I think the way that he finished kind of goes into account in terms of his ranking being where where it is. And I... I think that just watching him, and I, I'm sure Texas fans will experience this. Shout out to all the Texas fans who definitely aren't listening to this. During that Alabama game, you being an Alabama fan, was there a player on the field that made you more nervous when he touched the ball than DeAndre Swift? Michael Hardman. You're, so you're more nervous watching Hardman than Swift? Because like in the in special, he impacts the game and so like Michael Hardman was top five in the league uh, in yards total yards per game, and he only averaged five plays per game, like five touches per game, which is crazy. But no, Swift is, like, he he's definitely a close second. He's really, really good. And when you talk about, like, again, the rankings based off of this season, mm-hmm. the only reason he's behind Benny Snell, and I don't care how this sounds because I know we're going to get hated on because people love Benny Snell in Kentucky, and he's great, whatever. If you're putting a team together and you, you are trying to pick a running back between Benny Snell and DeAndre Swift, it's not even close. Oh, yeah, I'm taking DeAndre Swift too. I'm saying based on based on 2018, just because of the the slow start that that he got off. You you have to take that into account, and that's why DeAndre Swift is not higher necessarily on right. the list. That's why he didn't get the first team recognition. But gosh, I can't. I still can't believe that Georgia's backfield next year. And I don't. We don't. As of the time oh that we're God. recording this, we don't know Elijah Holyfield what they're going to do. But gosh, they get Zamir White back. They get Trace Cook. I mean, that, that team is just not going to be fair. And it, yeah, if they get Trey Sanders, oh my gosh. Um, yes, we'll be talking about Georgia running backs for a very, very long time. All right, number 13, we got a tie here. We're going to stick with the skill player theme. A.J. Brown. Well, I think we're on 14. No, but there's a tie for 13. That's the way that it works. Okay, when there's, yeah. yeah, tie for 13. A.J. Brown, the Ole Miss receiver who, I'll be honest, I sort of mentally wrote him off a little bit too much after what we saw him do going to that 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 Bama Ole Miss game, where he just kind of disappeared from that one, and, it, and that was wrong of me. I admit that, and I, I I slept on the the middle of the season that he had. He had a six game stretch leading up to the Egg Bowl, where he averaged eight catches and 134 receiving yards a game. He was super yeah. super consistent after that Alabama game, despite the fact that that offense, you know, they had the red zone struggles and his touchdown numbers really didn't reflect how good he was. He only ends up with six touchdowns this year, but... Three of them in the first two games. Yeah, that's a good point. And he ends up with 1,320 yards, which is top 10 single season ever in the SEC. So I think that A.J. Brown is a guy that, yeah, he, we didn't get to see him play in the postseason these, these last couple years, and he plays on a five-win team. And we're not going to get to see him, obviously, you know, in the bowl game. But he he was worthy of, of a spot this high, and I think I, I might have I might have probably had him a little bit underranked on this list. Yeah, I mean, this was a tough one because I think again, when you're looking at 
like the top players in the league. I, I would I had him ahead of Jerry Judy. I had a couple people if, just in terms of who I think would be a more complete receiver. Um, but when you base off of this year, it's it's weird because it's like you, it's hard not to get caught up in the fact they only had six touchdowns, especially in an offense like that where you have Jordan Tamu who just like I mean they are throwing the ball constantly, like just nonstop. You know what I mean? Like he, I'm shocked that he didn't do more damage in the SEC because he was like their go-to guy. Um, Demar- I know he had Demarcus Lodge, in fact, that. But when you're Metcalf, averaging, like yeah. you said, over eight, well, he was injured, but like Towards when you have end. over eight, um, eight catches a game, like over 100 yards for like those eight straight games, how are you only putting up two touchdowns in, in SEC games this year? I think if... So that, that part was kind of frustrating for me, but like 1,320 yards receiving is it's absurd. Ridiculous. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, and it'd be... And that's only in 12 games, too. I mean, think about all these seasons that we, we evaluate. We usually look at them as, you know, 13-game uh, schedules and faced a lot of really good defenses this year, too. So A.J. Brown is, is a guy to me who I would love to have my team at the next level. I think he fits a lot of the, the Christian Kirk-like abilities where yeah. you just stick him in the slot and you say, go out and catch some footballs for us. He can make plays all over the field. I'm excited to see what he does at the next level. And I think part of the stuff, like the touchdowns especially – I didn't want to put all that on him because I said before the season, I thought Tomu would lead the conference in passing yards and touchdowns, which usually those two kind of go hand in hand. But they were terrible in the red zone. They were terrible. So he had almost 4,000 yards passing and had 19 total touchdowns. That's hard to do. Which is behind seven other quarterbacks. I mean, that's, yeah, that's yes, really see, hard yeah. to do. Yeah, it's just crazy. So, I mean, I don't want to put all that on him. but No, it's, it, it's not. But um, A.J. Brown definitely, um, I, I think, I think confirmed what we thought about him in the preseason where he's a preseason first-team All-American. Really hard to live up to that kind of hype, but uh, he was a, a go-to weapon for that team. Tied yeah. at number 13. This is a guy who, coming into this year, had all the accolades in the world, and I think he almost had identical pr- production to what he did last year, and that's Montez Sweat. The defensive end for Mississippi State was so, so fun to watch when he was in a matchup against an offensive tackle that you could just tell couldn't handle him. I love... Right. Uh, Brett Hudson of the Commercial Dis- Dispatch does this. Uh, he tweets out a bunch of videos on Sunday afternoon. He does like a film study type story. And whenever he would tweet out a video of Montez Sweat against this like offensive tackle from Kansas State or something like that and, and trying to guard Montez Sweat, it just wasn't even fair. I mean, the way that no. he would just overpower guys, there might not be, with the exception of Josh Allen, probably not a better pass rusher uh, than, than Montez Sweat. And somebody that I, I think that, we we really you know his expectation he raised the bar the bar so high for us so he didn't really blow us away this year necessarily with what he was doing but that's a group that finished number one in the country in scoring defense and he was such a big part of that well and I think we said this before the season started like it was gonna be hard to keep their numbers down for Mississippi State because you know anytime you have he had ten and a half sacks last year so usually when a guy comes back with double digit sacks. You're probably going to shift your protection hey, double team. over towards, yeah. towards him, um, you know, and prevent that. But when you have somebody like Jeffrey Simmons on the inside, it's really hard to 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 do that. So, I was really impressed with the fact that he had double digit sacks for a second straight year. Also, my man is from Stone Mountain, Georgia. Yep. Whatever. Um, but there's there were some games where he like, you know, I don't want to say took over, but pretty much like the Auburn game. game, the Auburn three game, three sacks. Yeah. I mean, like that, like you know, and then he he stayed. He he did he played well for like most of the season. He didn't really come up and do anything against Bama um, or Arkansas. Like nothing really late, but against Mississippi State or against Mississippi, um, 
he had like one and a half sacks. He, he was a terror at times, like when he wanted to be. Yeah, I would argue that if you actually go back and watch that Bama game, he didn't come up with the numbers, but he was forcing a lot of the action to where yeah. he was taking, like much like when so we looked back pressures. at that that Josh Allen game that he had against Mississippi State where you're like, wait, Josh only Josh Allen only had one sack, but he took over the fourth quarter. Right. Montez Sweat maybe didn't take over necessarily to that extent, but a lot of the struggles that Tua had in the third third quarter yeah. were a result of pressure that Montez Sweat was getting. The whole D-line, yeah, he, he was oh, come off the edge the entire game. But yeah, that was a really impressive season. One of the, he and Jeffrey Simmons, just a rare combination of guys who could you know, Montez Sweat as a pass rusher, Jeffrey Simmons, who will get to, at, you know, w- with what he did in the run game, you don't really see combinations of guys like that who are able to, to have the seasons like they did for, for two years like that. But let's move on. Number 12, Snow Yeah, baby. Snow Yeah. The man, the myth, the legend, Benny Snell. I think we got a little bit Snell fatigued early on because of the Kentucky hype. And I think that, you know, we were obviously the, the starters of the Snell Yeah Heisman campaign. We're, we were all about that, as entertaining as a player as there was. And I think the narrative was that he faded off down the stretch. And there's, you know, maybe it's not just a narrative, but he still did average over 100 yards rushing in his final six games of the year. Yeah, so I, I thought the narrative was that too. That's kind of I, the attitude I took into like looking at his stats. I just kind of assumed that's what happened later on. Because one thing I, I didn't, when we talk about like the value of like a running back, when I I really like Josh Jacobs, obviously I really like Trayvon Williams, um, like we talked about with DeAndre Swift. Snell doesn't really catch the ball out of the backfield that much. That's part of and, it. And yeah, but like there's definitely something to be said for especially when Terry Wilson was struggling so bad, so badly early on. Um, there's something to be said for being able to put up 14 touchdowns in a season and have 1,300 yards when you're pretty much the focal point of that offense. Consecutive seasons with first-team All-SEC honors at Kentucky. And five years from now, the trivia question will be, oh, who was Kentucky's quarterback during that time? And you'll be like, I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, I definitely will. I don't know who exactly it was. Oh, they were Terry Wilson. But um, he ends up actually having really similar production to what he had last year, but different narrative in that last year he finished the season so strong and route to first-team honors, and then this year he got off to that great start. And then sort of, you know, he didn't taper off necessarily, but the production just wasn't what it was. I don't know if that was necessarily sustainable. Maybe the workload just kind of caught up to him. Yeah, man. He said, like, he said, there's no way he doesn't go pro, right? Like, he has to go pro. I, I would assume. And here's here's an interesting, interesting stat just based on his production. He was involved in, I think, he had 280 plays from scrimmage this year. And he was a little bit more involved in the passing game than he had been in years past. He's already got 711 carries in his career. Just for a little perspective, Damian Harris, Alabama running back, 453. That's ridiculous. That's like an entire full season more of carries, even though, you know, Snell's a junior and and Harris is a senior. Well, I was looking up at his numbers against ranked opponents, and he had the most rushing yards in the conference and the most touchdowns with like five and I think a little bit over 500. But up ne- like right behind him was Swift, and Swift had like 28 less carries. I mean, when you talk about a, like a very similar year to last year, this year he had 263, yard, or 263 attempts and 1,305 yards. In 2017, he had 262 attempts yep. and 1,333 yards. So, I mean, yeah, it seems like it's kind of more the same in a, in a very positive way. He's a, he's a very dependable back. I just, he, he, dude, go to the NFL. You, you cannot 
stay in the league and keep getting hit like this. I, w- I would assume. Yeah, I would assume that he's going to be uh, off to the next level. And maybe there's a little bit of bowl game redemption for him after what happened last year in the Music City Bowl where he gets yeah. tossed uh, for that ridiculous call. All right, top 10. Let's Actually, let's take a quick break before we do our top 10 so that you can tell us about our good friends at Texas Pete. Whoop, whoop. So, guys, it's the holiday season. You know what that means. You got to get gifts for people. You know what I'm getting for everyone? Box of Texas Pete. socks. No, probably. I mean, that's, I'm going to keep the Texas Pete for myself. Regardless, we are going into slowly into the offseason, but it's still bowl season. And that means there's still plenty of time for tailgating with our friends at Texas Pete. Make sure you are checking out all of their latest recipes. Uh, we had a lot of fun in Orlando shooting some stuff with a Mexican street corn thing. We did like six different little recipes. It was fantastic. It was awesome. So make sure you go check that out on tailgate sorry texaspeat.com slash tailgating uh that is texaspeat.com slash tailgating and if you can't stand the peat stay in the kitchen y'all come on now oh now check it check that out on our uh our youtube channel by the way too got some good videos uh, i don't posted. like mexican street corn it was awesome yeah that's uh that's something that you should definitely put texas peat on even though i've never thought to put hot sauce on corn on the cob but well, it's, a, it's a it's a dust but we'll move on right. top 10 right. top 10 we have a tie at number 10 a guy that Florida fans have been very vocal about all year. This guy not getting enough love nationally. He's getting love here. He's got a top 10 spot. Ja'Kai Polite. Defensive lineman for the Gators who has just been dominant in Todd Grantham's defense. Kind of the prototypical guy that you would really want rushing off the edge. You can go back to the LSU game where it seemed like he was in Joe Burrow's back pocket every two seconds. Yeah, uh, Just a, a total menace rushing off the edge. Finished the season with 18 tackles for loss, 11 sacks, five forced fumbles. I just thought that he was one of the the more instrumental players and a guy that really needed Todd Grantham to come in there and, and just say, you know what, this is what you're going to do. This is who you are. We want you getting after the quarterback. We want you to focus on that and pretty much that alone. And he also provided one of the best gifts of the college football season when he had to go home to Florida State fans uh, in that <laughs> last game of the year. That was really good, too. Well, so. And when you talk about his production – um, it's not just like the numbers that are so impressive, but it's the fact that he put up those numbers with the amount of snaps and opportunities that he had. Yep. And what I mean by that is, you know, we're talking about 11 sacks and, and, uh, I think you said, you said 18, I thought it was 16 tackles for loss. College, uh, stat reference had, had 18. Those are always debatable. You can go either way with, with some of those tackle for loss numbers, depending yeah. on where you look. Um, but either way he, he had like the, Having double-digit uh, sacks and tackles for loss, and that was—I mean—that was more than Jeffrey Simmons. That was, I believe, it was right under Quinn Williams and, and Josh Allen for like third in the conference, which is really impressive. But he had 38 pressures on the quarterbacks this season in only 240 rush like uh, pass rushes. He's—he's he's a pass rushing specialist, but he's kind of not. I, I don't know. He's going to be interesting to evaluate uh, at the next level, but. Throughout this year, man, that, that guy was you – you had to get a couple bodies on him because the Florida defense, I don't know if we've given enough love to. We've talked a lot about Felipe Franks and Dan Mullen's offense and, you know, the, the ups and downs of this year. But that's been one of the, you know, kind of the constants. I know that they had the Mizzou game and they struggled at, at certain points and they didn't have the second half against Georgia that they wanted to. But Florida is not getting – a New Year's Six bid and going for its 10th win, I think, without the, the play of Ja'Kai Pelay. Yeah, and, and the fact that like he was able to do it, there's a lot of talent on that Florida defense. It was impressive to see 
like him stand out when there's like some other people that were pretty disappointing? Let's go to the guy he was tied with at number 10, offensive tackle for Alabama, Jonah Williams. He is our highest rated offensive lineman on this list, first team All-American. Um, he's pro football focus's highest graded offensive tackle. He allowed only nine pressures in 410 pass blocking, uh, pass blocking snaps, which is pretty good. Uh, highest run blocking grade of every offensive tackle in the country. Yeah. There, there are a couple things with him that I think are maybe a little bit overlooked, and one of which being two of sack numbers, up until, especially up until that Georgia game. He only took 11 sacks on the year, and it was a lot less than that up until the last couple weeks of the season. Right. Um, so there's there's that, and the fact, too, that he led a unit that still rushed for over 200 yards a game. I mean, we talk about the pass game so much with Bama and how that has been the identity this year, but Bama was still pretty good running the football. Yeah, I mean, I, I like, really struggled with how many – because if you put Jonah Williams in, you don't want to have, like, favoritism over just one offensive lineman because there's a lot of good mm-hmm. offensive linemen in this conference, and Greg Little – had also had a great year. And when you talk about, like, especially with the draft, there's a lot of talent in this league, especially that position. But the fact that he had given up nine pressures and over 410 snaps, and then when you talk about the best run-blocking tackle or best run-blocking grade in the country, that's, I mean, that's like a like a generational-type year. That's And I know a lot of people, like, it kind of seems like Bama always has, like, you know, some first-round or second-round offensive tackle that usually ends up being a bust. But... This kid's been outstanding the whole year. I don't, I, honestly, out of all the players that they do give a lot of praise to, I don't think he got enough. Yeah, I, I think that's that's fair. Let's stick with his teammate, uh, the guy that we talked about a lot coming into this. Jerry Judy is tied for number eight on our list. We've talked about before the Bolitnikoff Award winner went to the nation's, which goes to the nation's top receiver. Finishes the year with over the regular season and SEC championship, so 13 games. He has over 1,100 yards, 12 touchdowns. I think that his numbers were hurt a little bit down the stretch because of how much Jalen Waddle was being targeted and his emergence in this offense. But you weren't necessarily as high on him, and I'm very curious why. Okay, so well, one, because I probably don't know how to evaluate receiver um, uh, <laughs> receivers, I guess, in football. I'm the same guy that said Calvin Ridley was not going to be a good pro. He's done pretty well for himself. But if we're talking about top overall players – yeah, I would take A.J. Brown over him. There's a couple guys I would take over him. You know, Judy's really good in terms of, he. I mean, he's electric, he's fast, he's, like, he can stop on a dime. Like, his, he's really talented, he's very athletic. However, the offense that he was in really helped a lot of those numbers. And when you look at, like, you know, even the other receivers on the team, the numbers they put up, they weren't, having 12 touchdowns and over 1,100 yards receiving for, like, a Bama player seems, like, really, really impressive. I think... You know, besides Amari Cooper and Julio, that, that just never happens. But when you start looking at the other people on the team, Irv Smith. Irv Smith had, uh, I think every single one of them averaged over 15 yards per catch. It, they just, they all put up really good numbers. I thought his might be a little bit skewed. He, he caught fire pretty early where he had like six touchdowns in the first three games. And not to say he didn't fall off and, or have a great season. I just think, you know, there was, there's some other players that might have, might have been, had better seasons. Had a better sophomore season than Amari Cooper, Julio Jones, and Calvin Ridley. Bite your tongue. Pretty impressive. Just saying. Um, who's more devastating in space? Like the the the, yeah. I, the moves that he had against LSU, where he had a couple plays in that game where I 
I, I think that, uh, who was it? I think it was Henry Ruggs that got injured, basically trying to block for him on one of these plays where he was making one of these video game type moves. And I have no idea how you tackle that guy. I would whiff on him in a phone booth. Who's more devastating in space here, DeAndre Swift? Oh, it's Judy. Without a doubt, it's not even close. Yeah. I mean, Judy, like, he did that all year. That, that's that's probably his best attribute as a receiver because um, he's not a very big guy. No, he's, he's not. Like, he's, and that's, that's when I say, like, that is what we're doing about Ridley when he's, like, under 190 pounds. And he's fast and can go up and get a football. But, you know, we saw him running free a lot. I, I thought, I thought um, he, was, he had a really good season. But, yeah, I think that's probably his best attribute as a receiver is how he is in space. My favorite was against Ole Miss when he stopped, like, on, like, the four-yard line, like, came to a complete stop on a dime. The guy like flies by him, and he walks in the end zone and waves at him. Yeah, that was out of bounds. That was ridiculous. But I mean, yeah, you're talking about there are five players on the Alabama team that are averaging over at least 17 yards per catch. So, so Jerry Judy, there's a lot of home run hitters on that team. Jerry Judy's system receiver is what you're saying. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. Let's go to the guy who's tied for uh, for eighth with him. Uh, we talked about him earlier, Jeffrey Simmons, Mississippi State defensive tackle, who. Came into this year as one of the most, I'd say, highly touted defensive players and, and really lived up to it. I mean, somebody that sees double teams all the time still had 15 and a half tackles for loss as a defensive tackle. That is pretty good. That's Mississippi State good. finished with the number one scoring defense in the country. In, in credit to what Simmons and, of course, Sweat were able to do on the defensive line. Nobody in, in college football allowed fewer rushing touchdowns than Mississippi State. And nobody was better against the run than Jeffrey Simmons. Yeah, and only two missed tackles. Yeah, I mean, as sure of a guy as, as, as you could really ask for to put in the middle of your defensive line to say, yeah, take on double teams, uh, get a little bit of pressure on the quarterback. That's not necessarily his primary focus, but did still did that well. But, yeah, I mean, I just think that he was so built for the SEC. I mean, he's a guy that's got, like, 13% body fat as a defensive tackle, that's which stupid. is just ridiculous. But uh, he, he's someone that I, I can't wait to see on the next level. And just his body of work in 2018, Mississippi State is really, I mean, we, the offensive struggles, if Mississippi State isn't doing what it's doing on the defensive side, especially at the line of scrimmage, My God, this could God. have been very easily a 6-6 six and six season for him. Jeffrey Simmons or Montez Sweat could have been more accurate than Nick Fitzgerald. We gotta, we gotta pump, we gotta get this thing going. Yeah. All right. Let's go on to number seven. Uh, I told you we were gonna get back to the LSU secondary. Grant Delpit comes in at number seven. He was sort of the, the do-it-all man as as a as a safety on the back end. Some of these numbers are are, are pretty impressive. The 9.5 TFLs. He had five sacks. He also had five interceptions. Defended nine passes. He had a forced fumble. He had a fumble recovery. What he did to Nick Fitzgerald was just rude. Um, yeah. That was not nice. That game against Mississippi State where he took over. He had two interceptions that game. Uh, he had a sack. He had 10 tackles. Just a guy who you know might have been overlooked coming into this year uh, just because of the youth. There were more, you know, Greedy Williams was talked about more. Um, but someone who I think really emerges as a playmaker in Dave Aranda's defense. Okay, so this one pissed me off because if we're talking about seasons, we're talking about how they perform this season, you could argue – that he should be ahead of Devin White and be top four. Maybe. When you, I mean, across the board, when you look at it, it's like, okay, he had, he led the SEC in interceptions. He led the SEC in pass defended. He, I think he had over 70, yes, he had over 70 tackles, 73 tackles. He had nine and a half tackles for loss. He had five sacks. Everything he did, I mean, he was a, like a ball hawk and a playmaker the whole year. 
So I thought this one was too low, I'll be honest with you. I don't want to say Honey Badger 2.0, but no, he's not Honey Badger. He's not Honey Badger. He's not Honey Badger. But he, I mean, he had he had that kind of year where he was able to, like, in a, in a defense that was loaded with talent, it was crazy to see him, I think, have probably statistically the best year out of all of them and kind of stand out um, more than any of the other guys. I think, though, that he's just the body of work and the fact that, you know, we talked about Greedy Williams not making this list just because he didn't, he wasn't involved in the game in the same way that somebody like Grant Elpit was, where even if he wasn't, you know, like against Mississippi State, where they basically said, you're not going to be able to throw the ball deep, so we're just going to put Grant Elpit at the line of scrimmage, and we're just going to rush him off the edge because he needs yeah. to be involved in some way, shape, or form. That, to me, is the sign of a, of a good player, a game-changing like player. Derwin James last year for Florida State. Yeah, yeah, a lot like him. That's that's actually a really good comp. He's going to be, uh, in my opinion, he'll be an obvious preseason All-American next year, no doubt about it, coming back. He's coming back? He's a sophomore. Oh, my God, keep going. Yeah, LSU secondary is not fair. Number six, this is someone who I did not think would be this high on this list, but the more you kind of look at some of the stuff, you, you realize just how valuable this guy was. We talked about him a little bit earlier. Travion Williams. The Texas A&M running back who led the conference in rushing, but also was second among Power 5 running backs in rushing this year, third in FBS. I think that surprises a lot of people to see the, the total year-end numbers for him because he ends up with over 1,800 yards from scrimmage. He caught a pass against every Power 5 team he faces here. Get this. He's the only, I think he's one of, two, no, Don't he's the only, my stat. only Power 5 back in the country with, at least 1,300 rushing yards and 250 receiving yards this year. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, you know what's even more impressive? <laughs> Do you have, any, you have any points he scored? Did he Did he finish first in the SEC or Cole Tracy win that? So he, he finished uh, sixth. He had 96 points. But everyone – oh, hold on, actually. Um, he, finished not, he finished sixth, yeah, 96 total points. But everyone that finished ahead of him was a kicker. Shout out Cole Tracy. Well, Rodrigo Blankenship, but yeah. Him too. But yeah, it was, um, I, I thought that was, he, I mean, he had, every, every way you look at it, it's a lot like the Grant Delbert thing. He kind of was flying under the radar for most of the season. I don't know how. And when you, when you talk about putting up those kind of numbers in this conference, like, I mean, 1,500 yards rushing in this conference. It's hard That's to do. That's stupid. Yeah, it's really hard to do. So that was really impressive. Uh, the 16 touchdowns. I mean, but like the scoring, like what he meant to that team, that was like that was the big one for me. The, it's just every single week he never fell off. He never. Like, this is not one of those things like where like you look at Benny Snell and he had 14 touchdowns. He had four against Mississippi State, and you can say whatever we want about how he maybe fell off a little bit later in the year. But there's like those guys that kind of I don't want to say pad their stats, but there's like a boom in their stats because you know they they go off in one or two games. That was not the case with him. It was like this every single game. I, well, I would actually argue that the three games. So he struggled in three games this year. He struggled against Clemson. He struggled against really Bama. I brought this up then. And he struggled against Mississippi State. He only averaged 29 rushing yards against those teams. But okay, <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying because I know somebody's going to say that and be like, "Wait, but he fell off the face of the earth against Clemson." And you know, those are all top 20 run defenses. And actually, to A&M's credit, they went to the passing game. In those in those instances, well, especially against Clemson. Yeah, I mean, I just, well, yeah, he only had eight attempts against Bama. Right, I mean, only ten against Mississippi State. Still, Travion Williams worthy of a of a top six spot on this list. Somebody who yeah. loved playing in Jimbo Fisher's system. All the talk in the preseason about how excited he was to play with a fullback—crazy concept, right? 
but somebody that I, I, don't, I don't know what his, his next level decision is going to be, but somebody as 5'9", 200 pounds, we'll, we'll kind of wait and see. For my own personal entertainment, I hope that he comes back for his senior year. All right, top five. Let's get into it. We were actually very much in agreement on our top five, for the most part. Yeah, we did. Um, yeah. I, and I think it's relatively clear. Number five, we got DeAndre Baker, the Georgia cornerback who won the Jim Thorpe Award as the nation's top defensive back. And he earned this spot after this, this theory that I had in the preseason that we talked about, right? With second and 26, the Georgia secondary was going to come back extremely motivated. He ends up being the first Georgia player to ever win that award. And I think if you look at the numbers with DeAndre Baker, you'll be like, wait, wait a minute. The argument that you made for Greedy Williams was that he didn't put up big enough numbers to be on this list. I get that. And if you actually compare them side by side, they're they're kind of similar because I think he, what, two or three interceptions on the year. Should have had that touchdown two. against South Carolina, but then he dropped the ball on the goal line, whatever. Mm. But the most impressive thing about DeAndre Baker's body of work is the receivers that he shut down. Yep. SEC Championship, Jerry Judy, 24 yards. That game against South Carolina, where everybody's all hyped up about whether or not the Gamecocks could be this sleeper contender, Debo Samuel calls him out before the game, says he, says he hadn't heard of DeAndre Baker. Debo Samuel, 33 yards. Florida, Van Jefferson, a guy who came in with a lot of hype this year, transferred from Ole Miss, zero yards. Vanderbilt, team that you know a lot of people not necessarily expecting to air it out necessarily, necessarily but Kalijah Lipscomb, Lipscomb comes in you know, as one of the, the top receivers in the SEC. He had 16 yards against DeAndre Baker. When quarterbacks target him, he had a 38.9 quarterback rating. Right. He was dominant. He's a he is a shutdown corner in every sense of the word. Yeah, and that that was the thing for me. Is greedy greedy was he's really good. Greedy has a very very good secondary around him. And DeAndre Baker does as well, maybe not on the same level. I just thought DeAndre Baker from from start to finish stood out the entire season. And when you talk about you know, I'm not saying Greedy Williams is not a good quarter, or good cornerback, because he is. But what you just said, what he did in the SC Championship game against Bama, shutting down their receivers, shutting down Judy, what he did against Debo, it, it, that was the most impressive thing for me. When you, like, they had the whole cliche about, you know, big-time players, big-time games, he did that time and time again. Unlike Travion Williams. <laughs> you changed your dude so quickly on that one. I did that. Um, no, I, I think that that Kirby Smart is really going to miss DeAndre, DeAndre Baker, a guy who basically came back because of second and 26. They, he made his NFL decision an hour before the deadline and said, you know what, we got unfinished business. And he came back, and it's so difficult for, for guys to live up to that kind of hype preseason. Yeah. We, everybody knew about him, and, and he was lights out. He was a guy that was so effective and such a, a key part of that defense and a big reason why George is going back to a New Year's Six Bowl. Also best dressed in the SEC. Moving on. Very good dress. J.R. Reed's good. Is, is really well dressed too. Uh, Georgia's secondary, just in general. All right, top four. Number four, the man, the myth, the legend, Daisy May. Uh, Devin White. I mean, <laughs> ends up the the numbers that Devin White puts up. Yeah, it's part of it. 115 tackles, 12 TFLs, forced a couple fumbles, a couple fumble recoveries. He had that big force fumble against AM in that marathon game, where he ended up having 17 tackles in that game, four tackles for loss. The numbers are slightly down from last year, and I think that if you just look at that, you would say, are we are we just is it is it too difficult to say that he's one of the top five players in this league when his when he didn't necessarily improve his production 
But I still think that he belongs in this list because he is the key piece of that defense. And there was a reason it was such a big deal that the targeting yeah. penalty sidelined him for the first half of that Alabama game. Yeah, I think, I mean, you could argue Delpit having from, like, just the, the sheer different categories that he he uh, had an impact in might have had a better year, but Devin White, man, like just... He's everywhere. He, he is so... He's everywhere. Best arms. I don't care how that sounds. Best arms in the league. Best horse. Um, best horse, definitely. But, yeah, we talk about, like, he had a down year he, from 133 tackles uh, to 115. That's with one less game, and it's you also have to keep in mind, it's, you know, without that first half against Bama. So he pretty much put up the same exact numbers. Because he's going to have pretty much 18 tackles in that uh, Fiesta Bowl against UCF. I hope so. Yeah. Now he's playing in that one, which is exciting. And apparently, as of as of the time that we're recording this, Devin White is still undecided about the NFL. I, what is that? It, which is amazing because... He told his team that he was coming back, supposedly, from something I saw on Instagram, so you know it's true. The He's talked about the relationship that he has with Coach O, that he has with Dave Aranda, and how... He he feels like he you know maybe maybe part of it is that Bama game and the fact that they lost twenty nine to nothing and he didn't get to play in the first half and he feels like you know just like we just talked about with DeAndre Baker the whole unfinished business thing I'd be I'd still be surprised if he came back he's a guy that's projected to go in the first round and usually we assume that they're gone but think about this there's a possibility and I'm not saying this is going to happen but we, you know it, it could that with Fulton with the injury that he's dealing with right now and we don't know what his draft status is that he. Devin White and Grant Delpit could all be back for this defense. That's ridiculous. That's scary. That is scary. Also, I didn't realize he had eight tackles against Alabama. <laughs> yeah, the second, the second half. That's, Stupid. Uh, that's pretty good. Um, all right, top three. This is where, okay, so this is this is a, a, an interesting cutoff point. <laughs> this because is where the fight happened. No, no not, really, not really a fight. Not really a fight. I think that, uh, yeah, there, there was a comment made, uh, maybe a little, little jab by me. I think anybody that's in our top three here, you can make a case for them to be number one. Yeah. And I don't think you could make that case for anybody else outside so, of this top hold three. Hold on, though, real quick. For everyone, when I, when I, yes, there was an argument. There definitely was. But it, Connor opened up with how do you have this person ranked number one ahead of this person? And I was like, first off, why are you judging my, my rankings? I hadn't even seen his yet. And then when I finally saw yours, we had like the exact same top six. My point was because you would, you thought that it was just best overall player, and the person that who we're going to get to in a little bit, you know what? It's too difficult to explain. I'll explain when we get yeah. to them. Number three, you can make a case he's number one. I hear you, Kentucky fans. Josh Allen is number three. I understand that he won the Benaric Award for the nation's top defensive player. He is Pro Football Focus's top-graded edge rusher. He was first in the country with pressures on 23.4% of his pass rushes, which is absurd. Third in FBS with 14 sacks. He led the SEC in that. 18.5 tackles for loss. He led the SEC in that. Forced five fumbles. He recovered a couple. He defended a bunch of passes. No, yeah, hold on. Don't skip over that. How about the fact that he dropped back in coverage on 17 different pass attempts and only allowed 130 yards? Pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. Yeah, you know, the, the two-point conversion that he had against uh, against Florida, and then he had this really impressive pass breakup against Mississippi State. The job that he has done as an all-around player is why he is – so high on this list and why so many people have really, really taken him uh, and put him in this category. And that's why he's ahead of a guy like Ja'Kai Polite or, or Montez Sweat because what he has done as an edge rusher, 
we, we tend to think of edge rushers as almost pass rushing specialists, and Josh Allen is not that at all. I mean, it, there, there's, there's no way. He is such a complete player, and this is a guy who came into college as a two-star recruit, weighed yeah. 210 pounds, and now we're talking about him as maybe being a top-10 draft pick, and oh, that's unbelievable. I mean, he, he's been fantastic. Five fumbles for us, all kind of stuff. Like, that's, that cannot be said how big of a deal that is for Kentucky's defense this year because that offense was not exactly great early on. We all know about the 14 sacks, the 18 and a half tackles for losses. He led, you know, the SC in that. So for me, the reason why he, he he's fantastic. But like, I've, I've said it all year, I've harped on it. Like, one of the most impressive things in any game I've, I've seen for uh, the whole 2018 season was him in coverage against Florida. Yep. Like, he just did everything for like in that game. That being said, when we talk about the sack leader and how great he is, he had sacks in nine of his 12 games this year, which is really impressive. Um... However, he only had one in the three losses that they had against Georgia, Tennessee, and, and A&M, which I'm not saying he didn't show up. What I am saying is he only had one, one sack. So you had Josh Allen at number three. I had him at number I had him at number two. three strictly because of that. Because I said, I said a while ago, when we first brought this whole topic up, that you could make an argument that Josh Allen is the best player yep. in, in the, uh, what do you call it? In the SEC, SEC. remember that conference that we covered? How he, yeah, how he performed, how he performed in those like in the losses and like, not saying it's all on him at all, but against Georgia, Tennessee, and A and M, he had a combined one sack and one tackle for loss. So that's where for me it was, it was a no deal. Sorry, Cash Daniel, but Josh Allen was kind of the heart and soul of that defense. Yeah, just saying. Um, Number two, you could probably guess it based on what we just said there. Quinnen Williams. Oh. Your boo, the guy that you love so much. I had him at number three. You had him at, at number You had him at number one. one, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, that was how the fight happened. Yeah, this is how the fight happened. Because the, the discussion was best players in 2018. And I said to you. And I, st- I stand by what I said. Yeah, but, but I said to you, okay, then. If if so, you had based your rankings on you know NFL stuff and 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 body of work you know based on best career player, best, best player best overall player. So my argument was because Quinn and Williams and or my my clap back to you was if you raked on that premise, then what were you taking into account before this year with Quinn and Williams because he had only played like 150 snaps or something like that, and this year he obviously has been unbelievable. No doubt about it. If you if you're and judging Quinn Williams, top five pick for the NFL draft, right? But you know the NFL stuff isn't really. I, I think we're we're basing our 2018. We're we're looking back at 2018 and, and the body of work that they did. And I, I, I there was not there was not, and I, I include Tua in this. There was not a more dominant player in the SEC the entire year than Quinn Williams, and that is not me being stubborn on this one. I, I he. There's not a more dominant player in the SEC than Quentin Williams. Yeah, I know he came out of nowhere. I get all that. Um, but for what he was able to do from his position, he wasn't rushing off the edge and getting at the quarterback and stuff like that from, from like a pass rushing standpoint. To have 43 pressures and, and a combined 24 sacks or hits on a quarterback this season, which led the country, that's incredible from the D-line position. And I've, I've said this before, my favorite tweet he gets held more than a newborn baby. Yeah. The way he was able to take over games, and you saw it against Georgia yep. early on and, and late. You saw it against uh, Mississippi State, like uh, against Auburn. Like, he was against Mizzou. He was incredible the entire season. He ends up getting Pro Football Focus's highest grade ever 
for an interior yeah. defensive lineman. He was that good. By far had the nation's best run run uh he was the, the best in the country against defending the run, had the highest grade of any position. He was basically, I think he was Pro Football Focus's best player uh, of the year. But we could sit here and we can talk about how, oh, well, it's, you know, it's Nick Saban's defense, and we just kind of come to expect this with defensive linemen. The thing that we talked about early on coming into this year that we have not brought his name back up because, one, it's hard to pronounce, and, two, we don't get too caught up in assistant coaches that aren't coordinators. Craig Kuligowski, Coach Cool, the big hire that oh, Nick Mizzou. Saban made. Huge. Big, big, big time hire. A guy who spent time at Mizzou for a very long time and then was was at Miami. And I don't know if he got enough credit for the job that he did with Quinnen Williams. And I think that I don't want to say that Quinnen Williams was was less talented or that we're gonna see this every single year because his body of work is unbelievable. But I think that this is going to become more of the expectation as long as he is in Tuscaloosa. This is what he did at Mizzou. I mean, right? This is we talked about okay, these yeah. defensive linemen at Mizzou that year in year out that that rise way past the recruiting rankings. They end up being you know first round draft picks. And yeah. I think that this is Shane Ray, Michael Sam, Coney uh, Ely. Like they they have put out some studs, man. He finished eighth in the Heisman voting. He got a first place vote. He yeah, with good reason. He got a first place vote for me. I mean, you look at this team. I said going into the season, I thought Mac Wilson would be like an All-SEC linebacker, and he, I did too. You know, had had a good season, all that kind of stuff. But when you talk about from like the D tackle position, from the D tackle position, you finished third on this team in tackles with 66. That is outrageous. I mean, that, that's you're right behind Deontay Thompson as a safety, and Dylan Moses as a linebacker. 66 tackles from the D line position. That's I mean, and you know he's getting double teamed and held like the entire entire game. He he was. Like I said, in my opinion, he was the most dominant player throughout the entire season. Um, and that, that's I'm not just saying that because Tua fell off against Georgia or whatever in the SEC Championship game. From start to finish, I think Quinn had the, the more dominant season. We've talked a lot about the, the Kyler Murray versus Tua back and forth, the battle that they're going to have. The Kyler Murray Quinn and Williams battle is going to be good. Whether or not Kyler Murray can see over him, and we talked about you know yeah. Drew Brees struggles when you get pressure in his face because he's a shorter quarterback. If Quinton Williams is pushing that that center back, I that, that's going to be a that could be a long day for for Kyler Murray trying to deal with a guy who's been that disruptive. Speaking of Kyler Murray, our number one spot, I had him at number one. I've been saying all year I thought he was the best player in college football, and I'm I'm sticking with that. I had him at number one. You had him at number two. The man, the myth, the legend. I know I've said that a couple times throughout this, but it's Tua. It's Tua and. I know people are going to look at the SEC championship and they're going to say, well, Jalen Hurts came in and basically did what Tua's been doing all year and he led this comeback. Oh, that's and so stupid. I don't like that take because I think it takes away from what Jalen Hurts was able to do in that moment against that defense. But I just keep coming back to the belief that Tua's season, relative to competition, relative to what we've seen in the SEC, is so unlike anything that we've seen in years past. And I do think that we are going to look back at this as one of the great seasons in in the 21st century. And I think that you could point to a couple things. Tua's quarterback rating this year is 202.3. Second to Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray ends up, I think, with 204 after he had the big, uh, Big 12 championship game. You realize that no SEC quarterback in the last 15 years has been within 20 points of Tua's quarterback rating. 
Yes, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's unbelievable. If you kind of go back, you could look at Cam season 2010. You could look at Johnny Manziel in 2012. All of these seasons, and I understand that Tua doesn't necessarily have the rushing numbers of those guys. We're just talking about him as a passer. But to me, that's what's even more impressive, that he's been able to have this kind of season with his arm and the efficiency that we've seen from him. Somebody who's averaged 11.4 yards per attempt. And there's one more stat that I want to get to, and then I'll turn this over to you. We talked a lot about... Dwayne Haskins and how much he has had to throw in that offense and his Heisman candidacy not being as efficient as the two quarterbacks who ultimately received more votes than him. Tua threw the ball 202 times less than Dwayne Haskins this year. If you average out, and let's just say Tua continues that 11.4 yards per attempt that he was on that he was on pace for, Tua throws for over 5,600 yards in 13 games. Obviously that's relative and you know, you could say, all right, he wouldn't be able to sustain 11.4 if he's throwing as much as Dwayne Haskins, but just take that into perspective because I don't think it should be dismissed what Tua did this year because relative to competition, it was unlike anything that I've seen. Okay. So let me tell you why you're wrong. And I, I love Tua. He had an incredible season. He's really, obviously really, really good. Um, I almost put him under, or ranked below Josh Allen, and then I couldn't get over the throw he made against Tennessee to Jalen Waddell. That's one of the best throws I've ever seen in football. That being said, when we talk about um, showing up in big moments and in big time games, and I made the argument for him like all season. I think he had a hell of a season. Like you know, when you put the numbers of his numbers side by side with Kyler's, and you, you talk about like the the defense's face and all that kind of stuff, it's really impressive what he was able to do for most of the year. That being said, when you're comparing him and Quinn Williams, and if you look at you know their overall numbers, yeah, over 3,300 yards passing, the 11.4 yards per attempt, 37 to 4 TD ratio, to, or TD to interception ratio, that's crazy, by the way. Um, and the QB rating, I get all that. When you go ahead and look how he performed against ranked teams, that's where I had most of my issue, where he had five games against ranked teams, and... All four of his interceptions on the season came in those games. He had 11 touchdowns, which is still pretty good, over two per game. But his completion percentage dropped below 60%. Um, The passer rating went down to like 156. He versus where Quinn and Williams, I'm just strictly saying versus Quinn and Williams here because that's who I had one and two. Quinn and Williams had five and a half of his eight sacks in, in games against ranked teams, which is ridiculous. And then he also, no big deal, he also had, I can't find it now, never mind, it's over. Moments passed. <laughs> no, um, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I think you make a good point. And I, oh, nine and a half tackles for loss in the five games against ranked teams. Quinn Williams said, yeah. That's stupid. So I think in, in games when it mattered, and like Tua had a great game against LSU on the road, and, and he was fantastic against Auburn. And like there, you can't say enough about what he did early on in the season because he, he outscored in the first quarter 106 or like 105 Division one teams, like FBS teams in the country. He himself outscored 105 of those teams in the first quarter. That's that's incredible. But it's hard for me to shake off what I saw against against Georgia um, and the decision-making and, and just how he kind of, you know, and, and the same against Mississippi State. So Over under 375 passing yards against Oklahoma. We will put up 70 points. It's not even going to be close. <laughs> that game is – I cannot <laughs> wait for that game. Like, I'm not I'm – not, I'm, try, I'm trying my best to be objective here. There is nothing 
there's there was a quote I remember in the 2012 national championship game where Kirby Smart, Doug Nussmeyer, who's the offensive coordinator at the time, and Nick Saban go into a meeting room and they're talking about like their game plans, like the first meeting. And <laughs> Nussmeyer looked at him and he said, um, "How many points do y'all want, or how many points do y'all need?" Oh yeah. And they both look at him and they're like, "What? Like you a hole? Like you don't you don't get to have that kind of cocky? Like it's like his first year's offensive coordinator." And he's like, "Cause they is there is nothing they have for us. They have nothing." They can stop us. That's exactly what's going to happen with Oklahoma. They might put up 40, but... I wouldn't rule that out. That's all I'll say about that. I'm going to save my prediction for later because I have a ridiculous final score for that one. Uh, but I, 69! Yeah, that'd be pretty nice. Um, thank you for following along. Um, oh, yeah, just to recap real quick. Our top five, DeAndre Baker, Devin White, Josh Allen, Quinn Williams, Tua Tungvaluwa. If you disagree with us, let us know. Feel free. I know that you probably do at the STS pod. We're not going to get into a bunch of Twitter fights, but we do want to hear from you. We did something a little bit different with this. We want to do some, some more stuff like this during the offseason. We don't have any. It might mean too much. No uh, no fourth and wrong today. No five-star views to get to today. But we, we do appreciate you guys following along because this is a little bit, you know, a little bit out of our, our, our comfort zone. And we know that, of course, everybody's going to have opinions on this. But Monday, we're going to be talking about a lot of recruiting stuff, a whole lot of recruiting stuff um, ahead of the early signing period. Yeah, Monday, we're going to be recording. You're giving me a quizzical look. What's wrong? We're doing it on Thursday, not, not Monday. No, I thought we were having a, a Monday preview a Monday preview pod for uh, – this is we're, – we're planning on the fly here. Um, okay. We'll, we'll talk about that. But then no, we're, we're not going to get another fight right now, but yeah, we'll do that. And we have a, a special Christmas episode. I think we can need to record on the 23rd. Yeah. We'll um, or maybe we can do it next Thursday. I don't know. Where uh, our good friend Josh Schneed from SEC Shorts is going to be joining us. I'm pretty excited about that. Yes. And we have another very special oh, guest yeah. coming up. Uh, I think I think he's going to be on the pod a week from today. A week from today is the plan. So. Um, definitely, definitely going to want to listen to that. Um, should be one of our, our biggest gets yet. But thank you for, for following along. Um, as always, make sure that you are joining our, our bowl, our bowl mania group on ESPN. Um, that's STS Pod. Uh, tell us how bad we are and get your picks in because bowl games start on Saturday. We have football this weekend. That's good, right? Yeah, I can't wait. Six games. Also, I don't know why in the bowl pick them we got to pick the Alcorn State North Carolina A&T game, but that's a whole other thing. But Thanks for following along, guys. Let us know where we were wrong. Definitely join the Bowl Mania Pick'em. And uh, I'm going to go get some soup. What do we need to remember, though? Yeah, my man, too much. Talk to you Monday.